On this episode of the Our View Podcast, I'm joined by my guest, Nico Meyering. Nico lives with congenital central hypoventilation syndrome, also known as CCHS. Join our conversation as Nico shares his experience of living with CCHS and how it impacts his daily life. I would like to welcome everyone back to another episode of the Our View podcast, where we aim to educate, raise awareness, and change the tone of conversation about disabilities. I am very excited to have my guest on uh, with me today, Nico. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me. And we have uh, discovered something in the pre-interview time that we are actually neighbors. We live, <laughs> we live fairly close to each other, different states, but we're uh, you know fairly close uh, to each other. So that was really cool to find out. But uh, Nico, thank you for uh, joining me today. Thank you for having me, Arthur. Yeah. So um, I start off all my podcasts by asking my guests to introduce themselves. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, what your medical diagnosis is and how it impacts your life, but also tell us, you know, tell us things beyond that, because I, I want to give a full uh, representation of my guests and, you know, things that they like to do for fun or hobbies or any, um, any hobbies that they may have. So feel free to share as much as you would like. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. Hi, world. My name is Nico Meyering. I use he, him pronouns, and I'm coming to you today from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where I live with um, my girlfriend, our dog, and our cat. So perhaps you'll hear uh, the dog or less likely the cat during this interview. And for that, I apologize. But um, I'm 33 years old. I work full time for the University of Pennsylvania. And I live with a rare and lifelong medical condition called congenital central hypoventilation syndrome or CCHS. Contrary to what its acronym might lead you to believe, CCHS is not about a high school or anything like that. Uh, CCHS is a rare and lifelong medical condition caused by a genetic mutation. So our automatic impulse to breathe is suppressed uh, remarkably so. In some cases, that impulse is uh, entirely absent. Like every genetic mutation, uh, how that presents differs from one body to the next. So if you've seen one CCHS case, you've seen one CCHS case. Uh, Some of us also have issues with our uh, hearts, our temperature control, our digestive function, Uh, and sometimes our vision. Any function that is controlled or influenced by our autonomic nervous system is something that CCHS will impact. Now, the most obvious sign of my disability is that when I'm uh, sleeping or napping or when I'm particularly ill, I do use mechanical ventilation. And I will have to use mechanical ventilation uh, my entire life Uh, until we have more effective treatments or even a cure. Um, Even though I have managed to build a modest but comfortable life for myself where my daily medical needs are not very intrusive, 
Uh, this is not the case for everyone with a disability, and it's not the case for everyone with CCHS. Um, my parents raised me with a focus on education and empowerment and um, achieving at a high level professionally, academically, and personally. And to that, uh, to them for that rather, I am indebted a great amount. Um, I feel like I do have a responsibility to help other disabled people and especially younger disabled people, right? And I've gained this perspective as I've transitioned from like young adulthood to where I am now, which is creeping into middle age. Again, I'm 33. Um, so the fact of the matter that we have to face is that disabled people are more likely to be unemployed. We're more likely to be underemployed. Uh, we're more likely to uh, live in poverty. Uh, and we're more likely to fall into substance abuse, domestic abuse. Um, there are some markers and milestones by which uh, disabled people are seen to have greater difficulty than their able-bodied peers. So that means that it falls uh, to me and it falls to other disabled adults to be advocates not only for ourselves, but also for each other and for the next generation, to quote Star Trek. I always say that I want my my ceiling to be the next generation's floor. I want um, kids out there who might be listening to this or whose parents might be listening to this uh, to reach life's milestones faster and more easily than I did. So that's kind of um, why I do what I do. That's great. Uh, that's really you. great. I think that, um... And, and I'm older than you, I'm 40. So um, I, I definitely agree with uh, what you just said at the end there to see the younger generations reach, uh, you know, to see the younger generations reach things faster than, than I did. And right. it, it is so great to see that um, so many conversations are happening through social media these days. You know, when I was 20 and 21 years old in, in high school, Instagram wasn't there. And, you know, Facebook was just barely there when I you know, was in college or ending college, I forget. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, to have all of these social media platforms where your audiences can be worldwide, literally at your fingertips, and your message can get out, um, you know, to the masses and even through uh, platforms like this, through a podcast where we have the potential of this conversation reaching around the globe uh, to so many people. I think that the advocacy work that you're doing um, and how you choose to do that and the advocacy work that I'm doing and how I choose to do that, everything and, and other people that are doing advocacy work, every right. bit of it is important. And I'm so, uh, you know, I'm so grateful that you are uh, at your age have uh, taken on that uh, mission to really help and, and I love again what you said that your uh, ceiling is the next generation's floor so they can uh, really uh, start yeah start from from where we are and uh, move forward because I've seen so many things improve um, in the world of, of disabilities in general and even in 
uh, with my condition with spina bifida back when I was born in 1981, they didn't have um, what's what is uh, called a fetal surgery that wasn't right. available back then 40 years ago. But ever since, you know, the last 20 or so years, they can do surgery to help improve the life of children who will be born with spina bifida before they're born. They can do right. a fetal surgery. <laughs> Uh, so just to see those advances happening uh, within my lifetime, like I can't imagine to see, uh, you know, what will happen in the next 20, 30 and, and 40 years uh, right. in the, in the world of medical advances. So <clears throat> so it's really, um, really great that, that you are out there and doing uh, great things to uh, raise awareness and educate people about your um, your condition and other people who live with CCHS. Thank you. I really appreciate appreciate uh, your words and I love all the advocacy that you do. I love being around like other disabled advocates in general because it underscores a fact that we don't always see in the abled world and that is that disabled people are talented. Disabled people are hardworking. Disabled people are smart, capable, resourceful and a benefit to their communities overall. Uh, we deserve treatment, we deserve investment, we deserve compassion and research. And this is even, even more true for people uh, like me with rare diseases. It's, it's so true. And that is the real true core reason why I started my Our View company and this podcast to show people that those who live with disabilities, we are active people. We, <laughs> you know, we do things like you said, you have a full-time job and it's, um, you know, we live independently and we, we just do so many things that um, that are not often seen. People don't mm -hmm. often get a chance to experience that. So that's why I love having a guest on to share uh, their individual stories. And, and you're here to share your, uh, you know, your story today. So I'm, I'm very grateful that, uh, that I have this platform to, uh, to do just that and let those around the world know that as you said, we are out here and we're, you know, we're doing things. Absolutely. I feel like the biggest lesson that I learned last year is that we tend to the communities that have tended to us. So as I have benefited from the disability community, now I must give back and lift other voices up, especially, especially considering that, you know, aside from the life-threatening rare illness, I have lots of privileges that other people don't. Um, and those privileges or lack thereof have also have major, major influences on life outcomes. Um, I'll talk more soon about how disabled communities are sources of strength. Uh, but having CCHS impacts me because it makes me see just how interconnected uh, we all are. The disability advocate and writer Alice Wong told us um, the narrative trajectory of our lives is necessarily webbed, right? Like we are all interconnected. We see that when we think about the number of people and number of incredibly diverse voices that are part of the disability community. Um, Arthur, something you touched on in our uh, pre-show chatter is that you're also getting to talk to or have talked to um, other people with CCHS 
And I think that's very important because disability has no one uh, voice and it has no one culture. It's very important to capture those different perspectives. Yeah. Um, and part, um, part of your advocacy work um, and your part of educating people about CCHS, you uh, shared uh, with me that you are, uh, well, you, you did serve on the uh, board of directors for the CCHS Family Network. Yes. Um, which is, you know, that's, that's really great. Uh, so can you share with us what the CCHS Family Network is and how um, how they serve families that are uh, impacted by this uh, diagnosis? Of course. The CCHS Family Network is the only federally recognized nonprofit organization for people and families dealing with congenital central hypoventilation syndrome. Uh, this organization was started by my own mom. So we've been in operation for like 20, 25 years plus. The CCHS Family Network raises money for CCHS research, uh, connects CCHS families to one another, uh, connects CCHS families to researchers and specialists, which goes directly towards improving quality of life and treatment and care outcomes. And we also provide in-person and uh, more and more these days, especially these days, uh, virtual ways for families to connect. Uh, as a millennial who grew up a lot in virtual communities, I know how integral those online groups can be to social and emotional health for disabled people. Uh, I personally talk to someone else with CCHS probably every day, if not, you know, multiple times a day. We're a patient advocacy group, and I remain active in um, helping to onboard new families, families who, you know, would be very scared about um, hearing that their newborn child has been diagnosed with this condition, and then feeling very isolated in terms of being alone and in terms of not having a lot of information right at the ready. Um, so I also am somewhat responsible in curating our online spaces, our, our Facebook groups, our online events, and then creating informational content about CCHS. So um, last Sunday, I just moderated a panel discussion about independent life with CCHS, where we had um, people with CCHS on talking about some of the successes they've had and some of the challenges they faced. And then we also heard from uh, parents of people with CCHS who talked about how, you know, it is scary to let go of your independent disabled adult child, but it's also, you know, important to respect their uh, personhood, their choices, and their, um, their agency, I guess, is, is the word for it. Uh, thanks to what I've learned during my six years on the board of the CCHS network, I've, <clears throat> excuse me, I've gone on to chair uh, my own board, and I just got reappointed to that position. Uh, I've done work with Global Genes, the National Organization for Rare Diseases, or NORD. Uh, I gave a TED Talk once. Um, I speak at a lot of town halls and other events that my employer puts on, so University of Pennsylvania. 
Uh, I'm a member of the Diversability Leadership Collective. I've done the Elevate Disability Mentoring Program, and I've been inducted into the National Disability Mentoring Hall of Fame. So the, the skills that you learn in one position of leadership do translate into greater opportunities and more accomplishments down the road. So, so I've been connected with a lot of my guests this season through uh, Tiffany Yu with the Diversability uh, Leadership Connective. And uh, yes, and I was really excited that uh, in your uh, conversations with you to prepare for this interview, you uh, shared that you have an interest in disability and pop culture. And I thought that was really great. And uh, I would like just for you to um, share a little bit of your thoughts about um, on how people with disabilities are portrayed in pop culture and, um, you know, just talk about that for a little bit. Sure. As much as possible, disabled roles on the big screen and small screen and on stage, of course, should be portrayed by disabled performers. In general, when they pop up, disabled characters, they often reflect this binary view that I think a lot of ables might have, and not maliciously so, but this binary view says uh, disabled people, they're either pitiful, right? They're objects to be pitied, or they are inspirational because they've had to work so hard and overcome so much. And all of these cliches that I've heard and that I'm sure you've heard as well. Um, so if those are the only two choices, then that really boxes in disabled roles and disabled performers. It reinforces assumptions and limitations about disabled bodies and also disabled experiences. I think that uh, I found, and perhaps you have as well, that most disabled people lie somewhere on a spectrum between um, dare I say, pitiful and inspirational, or, on, we're on, or we are on entirely different axes already. Um, so, you know, maybe it is inspiring that I've done all of this work uh, and that I, you know, give these talks and I connect with other advocates, but it's inspirational because of those actions. It's not inspirational because I'm disabled, which I think is an important distinction, if a subtle distinction to make. Uh, I do celebrate, getting back on topic, I do celebrate positive and realistic portrayals of disability experience. Uh, so I want to give a shout out to uh, some recent examples. I think the Oscar nominated film Coda is one other movies and shows like that make me uh, more hopeful for the future of disability representation than what we perhaps have gotten in the past, shall we say. Um, I'm a big, big nerd, right? And two genres that I consume a lot of content from are sci-fi and fantasy. So while there are positive portrayals of disability out there, I think about also the crowds who flock to the cinema or who stream the latest uh, X-Men movie, right? And thousands, perhaps millions of those people are gonna see uh, Professor X in a wheelchair without really diving into what that's realistically like. Um, I'm a real big X-Men fan and I have been for a few years and I keep thinking about Professor X. I think about how uh, 
the portrayal of his wheelchair use, again, seems to be a very limited and binary uh, kind of perspective. When he's out of the wheelchair, if he gets dumped on the floor, if someone throws him out of the wheelchair, then he's completely helpless. Um, it reinforces this perspective that people who use wheelchairs have to be using them all the time. Uh, nowhere do we hear that Professor X uh, also experiences like chronic pain or muscle spasms or any of the other side effects or symptoms that you might encounter if you are a wheelchair user or you know someone who is a wheelchair user. I think also about, I'm not sure what this trope is called. I'm not sure if it even has a name, but I'll give you an example. A character uh, becomes disabled. They, for example, get their arm cut off and they receive a replacement that enhances their ability beyond that of uh, a normal human. Think about Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, he's got like a metal arm, but that gives him super strength and it gives him um, more prowess in uh, melee combat. It turns him into this, uh, this superhuman, this super soldier. When in reality, uh, limb prosthetics aren't at that same level of capability. Um, I got my start with disability advocacy traveling around to different comic conventions and giving talks about disability representation in um, comic books or in anime or in uh, fandom in general. So uh, this is something I could talk about forever. Yeah, that's, uh, um, yeah. I think it's really, really great what you said. I know, um, I think in my previous season, I think it was last season maybe, uh, I had a filmmaker on Allison and we were talking about uh, disability representation in film. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were talking about old examples of like Rain Man and, and how, um, how people, you know, when they see movies, that might be their only example of what a person with living with autism, or as you use the example, a person using a wheelchair might be yes. seeing this yes. movie. So then when they see somebody with autism or a wheelchair user in real life, they only have that one example or those few examples mm -hmm. they saw in movies where, as you said, the, you know, the person in the wheelchair is, you know, just completely helpless and uh, that they have to use the wheelchair all the time. That's why, uh, getting back to like current times with social media, you see a lot of uh, disabled content creators in uh, on TikTok I've noticed where they'll be a wheelchair user, but they'll do something and they'll, they'll be able to move their legs. So people will claim, oh, you must be faking your disability if you can move your leg. Well, not all wheelchair users are paralyzed, are paraplegic or quadriplegic. Mm -hmm. Some wheelchair users like myself have diagnosis like spina bifida where right. I, I can walk for short distances. So mm -hmm. I can move my, my leg muscles. I, I can't stand and put pressure on them without my braces on, but mm -hmm. I can, you know, I can flex my, you know, my thigh muscles. So you, you might see that. Um, I can't wiggle my toes though. I, <laughs> uh, so it, it's really, um, it can be very harmful to those within the disability community to, ha to not have the accurate representation of, 
you know, in uh, things such as movies or, or TV and, and um, on stage and in comic books, like you said, I think that's a, a I love that. I, I'm not a comic book fan, uh, so I don't know much about it. But um, I, I think that's a very interesting uh, perspective to bring into it where, you know, where it would be great to see some uh, more representation in all of these areas for sure of, of people uh, with disabilities and um, and different types of, of disabilities as well, not just, you know, the quadriplegics or the paraplegics. Right. Because again, there are many other conditions that people have that um, require them to use a wheelchair at times. So I, I think that would, uh, you know, I think that that's a really good, uh, you know, good examples that you brought up there. Uh, and uh, uh, Professor X, right? <laughs> that's, that's correct. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, you know, that's really interesting to, to think of it in that way when he's, you know, if he's knocked out of his chair, he just can't do anything when that may or may not be the case for a lot of people. Correct. Um, yeah, because I can I can get on and in and out of my wheelchair without any assistance as well. So it's uh, no, I, I think uh, I, I really wanted to uh, talk about that uh, with you just to uh, you know get your input and your perspective on it. Uh, so I'm glad you shared that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Nuanced portrayals of disability are essential. Mm -hmm. uh, it's essential that we have diverse portrayals of disability, even even contradictory. Uh, portrayals of disability. Ultimately, we can't be what we can't see. So, um, you know, that's why it's important. Absolutely. So I am so glad that, again, that you uh, shared your story and your experiences uh, with us today on the podcast. And um, I, I thank you for your time and just um, for just being so open and um, and for sharing about the work that you're doing, that is so important uh, in so many different ways and just uh, getting the word out there about uh, your, your condition and, and how it impacts you and how you um, are still living a full and productive and successful life with, uh, you know, with your rare condition. And it's just, uh, you know, it's really great. And I love what you said also that uh, all of the things that you've done, they're inspiring because of the things that you've done, not just because of you having a disability. And that is so important to say because I, I've i heard the story many times through people uh, that I know who have disabilities and people that have been on the podcast where we get told that we're inspirations just for you know, going grocery shopping or just, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's cool that uh, like in, in a person in like my case where my legs don't work, I can have hand controls and drive a car. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's cool. Like that has to be cool to see for somebody who has never seen it before. So I, you know, I can't, <laughs> I can't knock that. Like that has to be cool and very interesting. And sometimes um, I, I guess maybe a little bit confusing and also inspiring to see someone with, as a wheelchair user, getting out of the driver's seat of a car. Um, <laughs> you know, so that, and I love the conversations that I can have about uh, that when I'm at the store and somebody says, oh, wow, like, that's really cool that you drive and I can show them my hand controls and educate them, uh, you know, and not shame them about anything. So I, I think that right. is, um, that that's the approach that I like to take. I like to use those situations as educational moments to, uh, you know, raise their awareness about different conditions and uh, 
different things that are possible uh, for people who have disabilities. So uh, again, thank you for uh, the work that you're doing. And I definitely look forward to uh, staying in touch with you and, um, you know, making some some things happen in our local area. As I said, we're uh, very close uh, <laughs> geographically. So, uh, you know, it makes perfect sense and it would be great to uh, work with you. So um, absolutely. Yeah. Please pass along any like activist groups you hear of. Yes, definitely. So uh, Nico, thank you. Uh, thank you for for your conversation today. And, and again, for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you for having me. Uh, I will wrap up by saying that disability history and disability strength are found in community. We are a very community-driven movement. So uh, patient advocacy groups like the CCHS Family Network, like the Diversity Leadership Collective, those are, are a very natural second family or found family for me. Um, as you know, under 20% of disabled Americans work full-time, like under 10% of us have a college degree or higher. Um, the vast majority of us, something upwards of 60% rely upon uh, benefit programs like EBT or social security payments. Um, 3.5 million black women live with a disability. And I think about 40% of black people with a disability live in poverty. So we're, we're, overlooked in terms of representation and were underserved in terms of, of services. But now is the time, especially given the ongoing pandemic, now is the time for us to band together, uh, to speak up. We need to start that accessible future, that compassionate future, and leading with all the values that we want the future to have. Absolutely. And before we do wrap up, can you share where people can find you um, on social media, where they can follow you, if you have a website or anything like that that you would like to mention? Absolutely. On Twitter and on Instagram, I am at name starts with N. No spaces, all one word, name starts with N. I look forward to connecting with all of you listening. Yeah, great. So thank you, Nico, and have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Arthur. It was my pleasure. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. I want to make sure that this podcast is as interactive as possible. So if you have any questions or any topics you would like for me to address in an upcoming episode, be sure to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube at Our View for Life. That's O-U-R-V-I-E-W, the number four, L-I-F-E. You can also email me, ourviewforlife at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.